Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing loving-kindness meditation as a community to come together and encourage and support each other in developing and maintaining our meditation practice. Right here, wherever you're watching this or wherever you're listening to this, we get together on Sunday, Wednesday, and Saturday. On Sunday, we talk about a chapter in the book, Developing a Life Practice, the path that leads to nibbana and this week we are in chapter 23 on sunday we'll be going to chapter 24 which is misunderstandings in gotama buddha's teachings and we're going to be actually restarting this whole program from the beginning of this book here in a matter of weeks so if you're just joining us for the first time or you've recently joined in you'll be able to start all over with this book which you can get for free by just clicking on the link wherever you're watching this for the free book and you can download it or if you need a printed copy you can get a printed copy using that same link on wednesdays we come together and do breathing mindfulness meditation loving kindness meditation or buddhist chanting and today is our loving kindness meditation day on saturdays we do our Pali canon and english study group which are the words of the buddha by learning the teachings directly from the words of the buddha you actually be able to increase your clarity of actually being able to learn and practice the teachings and training the mind to this enlightened mental state that was shared by Gautama buddha over 2500 years ago and the more that you learn about his teachings and the more that you practice them you can see the truth for yourself as the mind gradually moves to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that we refer to as enlightenment. So I would like to welcome you to our loving kindness meditation practice session, where we'll be starting out with some breathing mindfulness meditation, just to kind of get the mind settled. And then we'll be moving into loving kindness meditation and finishing it off with a little bit more of breathing mindfulness meditation. At the end, if there's any questions about meditation or this path to enlightenment, I'll be pleased to answer any questions that you might have, and we can help you to develop your practice further along this path. I'd like to invite you to go ahead and pull up a cushion or a chair, whatever it is that you normally meditate with, maybe just flat on the floor, because they're seated position, lying position, in standing position there's also walking position but that's a little bit hard when you're actually doing live streaming here unless there's somebody operating the camera so go ahead and take a position typically that's seated when you're in a class like this and your lower body should be nice and comfortable 
If you're in a chair, maybe your feet are flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles, it's totally up to you. There's multiple ways to sit. There's no one permanent fixed way to sit that everyone needs to sit. If you're on the floor with your legs crossed, I would suggest that you don't put them in too tight because you can cut off the circulation, which will make it challenging for you to continue your meditation. Then with your upper body, you would like your spine to be nice and erect where your muscles are engaged. This is going to help keep the mind attentive and alert because during meditation, the mind may have a tendency to kind of turn off or become sluggish or become inactive. And you want to maintain that active, alert, attentiveness of the mind so that you can actively train the mind. And the way to get to the mind is through the body. So by maintaining this erect posture with the spine, you're using the body in order to get to the mind. The body is like the employee and the boss is the mind. Then with the hands and arms, you can place those anywhere you like. Gautama Buddha placed his right hand on top of his left and he put his thumbs together and then he placed that in his lap. So if that's comfortable for you, you can do that. But if that's not comfortable, you can place maybe your hands flat on your thighs or on your knees, on the armrest of a chair. Some people like to put their palms up. Remember, it's not about everybody doing this exactly the same. It's about finding what makes the most sense for you and what allows the body to be comfortable but not luxurious. Because if we make the body, if we make the employee too luxurious, then the employee is not going to be wanting to take us to go see the boss. So we need to make the employee comfortable, but not luxurious. Okay. Once you're got your body in position, just go ahead and close the eyes. And as you close the eyes with the body, nice and comfortable, but not luxurious, just start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose taking some nice, steady, consistent breaths. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. If your breath isn't synced up to the way that I'm guiding you, that's okay. Just generally take breaths in through the nose and out through the nose, establishing your own natural breath, not forced or controlled, just nice and steady. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Focus the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath entering the nose or the sensation of the air moving over the skin into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. 
I'm going to leave you here to just focus on the breath. I'm going to do some chanting to kind of ease us into meditation and then come back with some more guidance. Arahang Samma Samhoto to slow the mind down no matter what's gone on today no matter what the mind might want to think about you gain control over the mind 
by focusing it on the breath and just slowing the mind down. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Just observe one breath at a time. Just one breath. Don't focus on the future. No focus on the past. Just one breath at a time. Focus on the breathing in. Fully aware of that breath. Bringing the mind's awareness to the inhale. And breathing out. Fully aware of the exhale. Breathing in, fully aware. Breathing out, fully aware of the entire breath. Breathing in, fully aware. Breathing out, fully aware. Anything you hear is impermanent. Any thoughts are impermanent. Any sensations on the body, they're impermanent. Anything and everything is all impermanent. Whatever arises will cease to exist. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Continue to stay focused on the breath, being fully aware of each and every breath, all the way in and all the way out. If the mind wanders, just cut it off and bring it back to the breath. Don't attempt to judge the thoughts, label the thoughts, or figure out where they're even coming from. Wherever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, cut it off, let it go. 
Bring the mind back to the breath. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. In this meditation, develop the perception of impermanence. As every thought arises, notice that you can cut it off and let it go. Bring the mind back to the breath. If there's something you hear, Notice that it's impermanent. Bring the mind back to the breath. Anything and everything that's happening around you, it's all impermanent. Just focus on the breath. And then I'll be back with loving kindness meditation. Breathing in. and out. Breathing in and out. All that arises will cease to exist. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in. and out.
and out. Breathing in and out. Now on the out breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind to cultivate loving kindness. Breathing in. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May my mother and father be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May my life partner be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well.
they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. children be peaceful. May they be safe. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May they be safe. Be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May my brothers and sisters, all be peaceful.
मेरे भी से free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. friends, associates, and colleagues, past, present, and future, all be peaceful. safe. be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those beings who I don't know and aren't part of my family or friends, may they all be peaceful. safe.
may they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all beings, no matter where they reside, on this planet or far, far beyond, may they be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Focus on the breath, breathing in and out. Breathing in and out.
Just kind of ease your mind out. We're going to open things up to questions. If you're in Facebook, YouTube, or in the Zoom classroom, you can type your question into the comment section, and our moderator, James, will see that and be able to ask during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can also electronically raise your hand and ask your question as well. So whatever works best for you. I'd just like to open up to any questions you have on the meditation we did or anything that you've been studying and learning along this path to enlightenment that you would like some clarification on. We have a question from Max. He asks, can we do loving kindness affirmations by geography? Yes, you can. You can start, of course, with yourself because you always want to start with I. And then you probably want to expand out you know, you can do it as small and narrow and as wide as you'd like. You know, you might start 
in your house or your flat, go to your building, go to your block, go to your city or town, go to your county, go to your state or province, go to your country, go to your continent, go to all the entire earth. You can do it that way if you like, depending on how refined you would like your rings. It's really up to you how you do that. And some people might try to do it in terms of start with I, and then you might say everyone to the north, everyone to the south, everyone to the east, everyone to the west, everyone below, all beings above, right? Because each time is going to be all beings to the north, all beings to the south, all beings to the east, something like this. So yeah, you can totally do geography. I was wondering, David, do you recommend that we generally plan out what rings we're going to recite during our loving kindness meditation? I think it's helpful when you're getting going because you should really be focused on people that you do have hatred, anger, ill will for. Because remember, this meditation is all about transforming your mind. It's not a prayer. It's not a way to change other people. It's a way to change your mind. So if there's certain people in the mind that you're trying to eliminate hatred, anger, ill will towards, it's good to kind of have them in your back pocket. And as Max taught in one session, you might want to start out, of course, with I, and then go to people around you that you're fairly affectionate with, that you find it quite easy to have loving kindness for, and then go to kind of more of like a neutral group or individuals, and then go to people that you find it challenging to have loving kindness for this can be helpful to kind of segment and expand out and you might notice even though in this group learning program every time I do different rings I just do that as a way to give you guys a sample of different options that you could do but you might actually need to do the same loving kindness meditation for many weeks or many months in order to really refine and get down to this hatred, anger, ill will that you have for one particular person or two or three people or a group of people or any kind of situations or beings that you have anger, hatred, ill will towards, you need to eliminate that and transform it out of the mind. And the way that you do that is through practicing loving kindness meditation and then practicing loving kindness in daily life. So you might find that you need to do the same loving kindness meditation over and over. I think I've shared here a few times about how when I first got underway with loving kindness meditation, I had a lot of challenges with my mom. She's now passed away, but I had a lot of deep-seated resentment towards her for things that happened when I was a child. So probably for a good six months or more, every single time I meditated loving kindness, it was always involving her until finally I felt it lift and I was able to have a really good relationship with her before she passed away. So yeah, you should probably kind of plan things out. For me, when I teach these classes, I really don't know what I'm going to do in terms of rings until either right before the class or sometimes even during the breathing mindfulness meditation. It'll just come to me about what I think I should do the rings for. But in terms of you diligently in a committed, consistent way of really tackling the hatred, anger, ill will that you have in the mind, you should know 
the types of people and the groups of people and the individuals that you're really trying to cultivate this for because otherwise you're just kind of smattering and trying to kind of throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks rather than being very almost surgical with your loving kindness meditation. Thank you, David. I was also wondering if we find ourselves feeling aversive feelings toward situations rather than individuals, is there a way that we can cultivate loving kindness towards these situations through our meditation? Can you give me an example of what type of situation you're thinking of? I would say perhaps a job or a living situation where it's not so much just one person, but the situation in general is perhaps triggering aversive feelings. Yeah, you can do like your colleagues or your workplace, you know, you can do your home, all those who reside in my home, or like if you're in a building, like a new place that you've moved to and it's very loud or noisy, or every time you go out, people are kind of angry and disgruntled with you then if you feel some hatred and anger arising in you because of what's happening around you, then you can you know, cultivate loving kindness for those people because there's individuals in those situations. You have anger, hatred, or ill will towards because just the situation, you can't have anger towards just the situation. It's actually the individuals, the people in them that you're having the anger, hatred, ill will towards. So it's identifying them and cultivating the loving kindness and then practicing it. Because a lot of times what people do, especially if they're coming over from like a Christian background or a Muslim background where they do a lot of prayer, you know, prayer, a lot oftentimes people are praying for other people and asking other people to change and people to do things, which never works, right? That's not the way any of this life works. You can't change other people through your prayer, through your meditation. So oftentimes what people think is they should be meditating. And then when they get up and go outside, everything should be perfect. But that's not the way it works. You've got to take that cultivated active goodwill without judgment from loving kindness. You have to cultivate that in meditation and then take it with you in your daily life and practice being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings. Thanks, David. I suppose it's similar to the situation of finding our attachments and working through that that way and finding which individuals may be causing those aversive feelings in certain situations. Yeah, Gautama Buddha talked about how I forget what word he used, but I'll just I'll use my words. But this is from his teaching. He talked about how kind of an astute or a committed, dedicated practitioner would always be aware in their mind of what it is that they're actively working to eliminate and actively working to cultivate in the mind. So this is why this path is all about seeking guidance from a teacher is that Each individual should know, okay, I've got a lot of ego and arrogance. I need to get rid of this. Let me seek guidance from my teacher about ego and arrogance. Or I've got hatred and anger. Let me seek some guidance on that. Or I've got sadness or anxiety or boredom or loneliness. Let me seek some guidance on this. Or I speak very harshly to people and I would like to change that. Let me seek guidance on that. Or I'm having challenges with sensual desires and trying to please the senses. Let me seek guidance on that, right? So every practitioner should know what are these things. The Buddhist teachings are essentially laying out for you what is inhibiting you from experiencing enlightenment 
And the more you learn about those, you're going to start seeing the things that you identify with and you're noticing, ah, I got that one, I got that one, I'm, I'm experiencing that one a lot, but you've got to chip away at this sculpture almost and do it in your own terms and just be very aware of what it is in the mind that you're, those unwholesome qualities that you need to eliminate and then be very aware of the wholesome qualities like generosity and loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy and equanimity and all of these other wholesome qualities that we aspire to cultivate in the mind, you have to always be aware of where you're at. Not that you're trying to determine which jhana am I in or which stage of enlightenment am I in. You know, I'm going to give you some guidance on knowing that as a personal guidance, but not as an arrogant, egotistical thing to kind of figure out where you are. But even without any of that, before you can even get to any of those stages of enlightenment, you have to just have such mindfulness, so much awareness of mind. Ensure that you're always mindfully aware of what it is that you're actively working to eliminate and you're actively working to cultivate. And by always being on top of that, whenever you see that arrogance arise, boom, you can cut it off and get rid of it and say, nope, I don't, I'm not interested in that. Wherever you see an opportunity to be generous and you feel like being a little bit of selfish, you're like, no, 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 let me be generous here. And you just push through that wall and be generous. Or you start observing that you're speaking harshly to people. Even you cut yourself mid-sentence, just cut it off, apologize to the person and just work on it and try to get better at it. Whereas if you're not aware of any of these things that are going on in the mind, if you don't have awareness of mind, you'll never be able to eliminate and cultivate the things that you need to eliminate and cultivate. So the Buddha always taught to just be so aware of this. And that comes to loving kindness meditation is being aware of what people you're having anger, hatred, and ill will towards so that when you're meditating, you can just always ensure those people are in there and that you're surgically working through this mind and sorting out all of these unwholesome roots and then cultivating the wholesome roots. Thanks, David. We have a question from Aiden. Can I practice non-meditative metta in public, aiming the loving kindness toward those beings around me, for example, in a queue at the store? Absolutely. Yeah, this is really helpful that you know, while you're standing there and everybody's being discontent and angry because they're standing in line and they're impatient and you're trying to practice equanimity, which is evenness of temper, especially in difficult situations. Yeah, you can just maybe be well, you know, maybe be peaceful. You see somebody struggling in their day, but you can't do anything at that moment to help them. May you be peaceful. May you be well. You can direct that in the mind and that will help to further cultivate your loving kindness. It's not meditation, but through doing meditation and doing it regularly in your daily life where you see situations, may you be well, may you be peaceful. When people used to attack me quite a bit on Facebook, oftentimes I would just say to myself, may you be well, may you be peaceful, because I can see they're so discontent and so angry and they just want to attack people. And all I can feel is just loving kindness for them because you can see they're really deeply suffering, very deeply discontent. And in that situation, you can't fix them. 
You can't fix them because you didn't cause the problem. They're causing their own anger and frustration, for example, in this particular example. And the only thing you can do is maintain your loving kindness. And if it helps you to just think in the mind at that moment, as you're typing out a message, as you're standing in queue, as you're doing anything, if somebody cuts you off in traffic while you're driving, may you be well, right? May you be peaceful. <laughs> may you be safe. All of those things are really good to think about that throughout your day. Thanks, David. This is very helpful, especially at a time when across America, especially we're having so much division and hatred. It's very helpful to keep in mind loving kindness and to practice this. Yeah. You know, I saw the things on YouTube, you know, I'm watching it on YouTube, all the things that are going on in America. And I just think loving kindness and compassion for everybody. And uh, it's uh, it's a really difficult time in America for some very specific reasons that I think people will learn about in the future about why all of this is coming about at this particular time. But all we can do is do our part. And our part is to focus on our practice. So no matter what's going on around us, we've got to focus on training our own mind because we can't control this external world. All we can do is train the internal mind so that then we can control the internal mind. One of the things that I haven't shared with you guys, because I feel like James is probably coming to the end of his questions, something that I thought I would share with you guys today, just a little bit here. We've talked about discontentedness, and we've talked about these three feelings, is painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So these painful feelings that the unenlightened mind experiences, like anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, the pleasant feelings, happiness, excitement, elation, and the neither painful nor pleasant. I usually say boredom, loneliness, shyness, just unsatisfactoriness, un- uncomfortableness, right? Well, I talked in the past about this red light on the dashboard that whenever you experience discontentedness, any of those three feelings, you're going to see this red light. You're going to see anger arise. You're going to see frustration arise. You're going to see annoyance arise. And that's an indication that there's some craving, desire, attachment, some mental longing with a strong eagerness that is causing that anger, frustration, or what have you. And likewise, when the mind becomes happy, excited, elated, there's some mental longing with a strong eagerness, craving, desire, attachment that's causing that happiness, excitement, elation. And likewise, with boredom, loneliness, shyness, all of these other things, there's some craving, desire, attachment there. There's always mental longing with a strong eagerness that creates any of these three feelings, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So I've said this many times before and asked and invited you to investigate that and see it for yourself. Well, now let me add something else to your understanding of discontentedness in these three feelings. Whenever you experience this red light on the dashboard for painful feelings, sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, the mind is very uncomfortable with painful feelings and it doesn't like these painful feelings. And if you're off the path and you never even learned the path, you don't even know why you're having the painful feelings. You have no clue whatsoever. But you guys being part of the path and learning these teachings, you understand it's craving, desire, attachment. 
And because the mind's experiencing these painful feelings, you know it's because of craving, desire, attachment, some mental longing with a strong eagerness. Well, what the unenlightened mind will have a tendency to do is that when it experiences these painful feelings, whatever it is, to whatever degree it is, it will typically then search out pleasant feelings. It will not be comfortable to reside with these painful feelings, this anger, frustration, sadness, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fears, and it will then start looking for something to grab onto that's going to create the pleasant feelings. So if you see the red light on the dashboard and you identify from the discontentedness, the painful feelings, and the craving, desire, attachments that's causing that, if you're observant, you might even notice the mind moving towards some kind of pleasant feelings, which then you're going to observe another craving, desire, attachment. So you actually get a kind of two for one here if you're really observant and mindful of the painful feelings as they arise. This is why when people have a lot of trouble at work, for example, maybe they're going in debt or they're making some bad business decisions, they'll turn to alcohol and drugs, seeking out those pleasant feelings. This is why if you have an argument with your partner, someone might decide to go out and cheat on them, right? Because they can't have sexual contact with their partner. They're experiencing painful feelings from the argument. And now they decide to go out and seek these pleasant feelings through some other means, maybe having sex with someone else, or maybe just going out on the town and drinking or using drugs. Or some people are into wholesome activities. You might find somebody who, when they experience painful feelings, sadness, anger, frustration, they might decide that they go garden. They go gardening, right? And they just, every time they experience painful feelings, boom, they go right out into the garden and start messing around with their plants and things like this. Well, there's not necessarily anything wrong with going out and you know, doing that kind of thing with your plants. But if your mind goes from the painful feelings to chasing pleasant feelings in unwholesome ways, this can really lead to destructive habits in your life. That whenever the mind's discontent and feeling painful feelings, it then goes and searches for these unwholesome craving, desire, attachments that's going to lead to some pleasant feelings. It's much better to go to some wholesome activity if you're going to search for pleasant feelings at least go to some wholesome activity that's not causing harm to you or to anyone else like gardening or hiking or something like this. But even that craving, desire, attachment, if you're aware that every time your mind feels sad or angered or frustrated, you go out into the garden, then you've got to notice that that's a craving, desire, attachment for you too. It doesn't mean you have to stop gardening because there's nothing wrong with gardening. It's a wholesome activity. But what you need to do is you need to eliminate this craving, desire, attachments that are causing the painful feelings. Yes, but you've also got to eliminate the craving, desire, attachments that are causing the mind to search for those pleasant feelings by going and doing something like gardening. And again, if you understand what craving, desire, attachment is, it's not the activity itself. Everyone can garden if they would like to garden. It's all about how the mind relates to this activity, that it finds such pleasure and happiness and excitement from this activity. 
and it's searching and longing with this strong eagerness for this activity. And that's the craving desire attachment that needs to be eliminated in the mind. And you can observe this with the mind if you experience any painful feelings. Notice what the mind is interested in shifting to. And it's normally going to shift to something else. It can be just being completely alone. And you're really attached to being alone. You have trouble being with other people. It could be any number of things. You should still do those things because it's better to kind of move the mind back to the middle if it's on one side with painful feelings. It's nice to move the mind back to the middle, but you don't want to overshoot that and move it all the way over to these pleasant feelings because now the mind is still longing with a strong eagerness. It's basing the feelings in the mind on some external condition. So as long as you're experiencing painful feelings based on these external conditions, the mind's also going to be experiencing pleasant feelings on these external conditions too. And you've got to cut off all of this to the point where the mind is no longer affected by these external things that are happening around you. So this is where you can really hone in on the mind and start seeing that when these painful feelings arise, that it oftentimes will chase after the pleasant feelings. Thanks, David. We just have a question from Judith. I enjoy meta meditation. At the time of practicing meta meditation towards dangerous, abusive people, what would be a good attitude that's not dissociative that can produce dissociation to me? I'm not sure I understand your question 100%, Judith, but if you have people that are abusive in your life or, you know, around you, you know, it's very helpful to cultivate loving kindness. You know, going back to to James's thing, I think he was talking about the protests that were going on in Washington, D.C. I know a lot of people in America were probably very angered at that, right? That's that defilement of anger, hatred, ill will. It would be wonderful if you notice as a Buddhist practitioner anger arising from this situation that you can incorporate those people into your loving kindness meditation. Or if you're watching the news and you see somebody who's murdered somebody or who's abusive to someone in their family or some other situation, if you notice any anger arising, the prescription is to practice loving kindness meditation and practice loving kindness in daily life. That anger that arises, that sadness that arises if you see a child that is being abused, for example, there's no pill that's going to solve that. There's no amount of alcohol or drugs that's just going to make it worse. There's no amount of anything else that's going to solve that internal problem other than what the Buddhist teaching. There's probably other parts of other paths and other traditions that have other ways of approaching this, but through this path that the Buddha laid out for us, you'll be able to transform any hatred, anger, ill will that you have for any individual or any groups using loving kindness meditation and then practicing loving kindness in daily life. We have a question from Nicholas on Facebook. He asks, painful feelings, pleasant feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant are the unenlightened categories. Those cover everything, right? So what category of things does the enlightened mind have? What is there besides painful, pleasant, and neither painful nor pleasant? An enlightened mind isn't going to experience those feelings because those feelings are based on 
external conditions. So the mind in an unenlightened mind really wants pizza, for example. Say my son like really, really wants pizza. And say we call the pizza shop and they're closed for today. Just say they're closed. He can't get his craving, desire, attachment fulfilled. And now the mind becomes sad or angered because of this external condition isn't met. The mind isn't comfortable with impermanence. The mind craves permanence thinking that every time we place a call, we should always get pizza. And that's just the way it should always be. An enlightened mind in that same situation, calling up the pizza shop, hearing that it's closed, would just be like, oh, well, okay, that's impermanence and move on to the next thing. And the enlightened mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, whether it's eating pizza or whether it's eating something else. It's not attached. It's not fixed. It's not craving and longing for this external thing. The enlightened mind is already inwardly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So it no longer experiences any of those discontent feelings of anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, happiness, excitement, elation. It's joyful. It's just not based on any condition, external condition, because that happiness, excitement, and elation, it's impermanent. But an enlightened mind is going to be permanently joyful. The enlightened mind isn't going to be bored or lonely or shy or uncomfortable or unsatisfied in any situation. It's just always going to be completely peaceful, stable, unshakable. Thanks, David. Those are all the questions we have for today. Okay. So, Nick, back to the happiness, excitement, elation. Sometimes people are a bit concerned. They think like, okay, if I progress on this path to enlightenment, I'm not going to be happy anymore. I'm not going to experience excitement and elation. Well, the mind's just going to always be joyful without any condition. That happiness, excitement, and elation, it's discontent because it's based on an external condition and it's impermanent. Therefore, happiness, excitement, and elation, while you're experiencing it, might feel kind of good. But then because it's impermanent and when it's over, that's when the mind then swings to either boredom or loneliness or sadness or anger or some other discontent feeling. So as long as you allow the mind to experience feelings based on external conditions, it's always going to be shaken up by something. It's always either going to experience these painful feelings, these pleasant feelings, or these feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant based on some external condition. So what the enlightened mind has done, it's gone inward and it's removed all these external conditions. It's let go of all of these external conditions. It's trained the mind to be so peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy no matter what's happening around you at any given time. And the mind is no longer shaken up by impermanence. So an unenlightened mind, if your boyfriend, girlfriend split up, you're going to be sad or angry because the mind's craving permanence. Or if you order that pizza and it either doesn't show up or the place is closed, the mind's craving permanence. It has this outward searching and seeking satisfaction externally. And now it doesn't get what it wants. It's discontent. It becomes painful. It becomes sad or angered. So if you allow the mind to get so happy 
when you order pizza, for example, all right, we've got pizza coming. All right, we're so excited. Well, that means someday it's going to be sad or angry because that condition is not permanent. You can't permanently get the pizza. So if you allow the mind to latch on to this external condition for happiness, excitement, and elation, which is temporary, then someday you're essentially inviting in painful feelings because you allowed it to seek these external pleasures. And the mind is usually seeking these external pleasures and pleasant feelings through the six senses. The five senses that you know about, which are the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the ears, and the bodily contact, that's the five. But then there's the sixth one, which is the mind, which oftentimes the mind will just daydream about certain pleasant things. And if you use these senses, and if you look at how the mind works, it will long for pleasant feelings. It will have this strong eagerness through these six senses, looking for pleasure through one of these six senses. And when it gets it, it's happy, it's excited, it's elated, it sees something it likes, it smells something, it tastes something, it hears something, or it feels something on the body, or the mind is you know, thinking about some pleasant thing. And it's happy, it's excited, it's elated, because it's taken in some kind of condition through these six senses. But that's not permanent, because all these external things that the senses are grabbing onto are not permanent. So when they're gone, i.e. because of impermanence, now the mind's gonna experience the painful feelings. And that's why the unenlightened mind keeps shifting and being shaken up because it keeps searching externally for some type of satisfaction, but it can never find it because every time it grabs onto something and it thinks this is the thing that's going to make me happy, then it's gone because it's impermanent. So the mind has to be trained and no longer long or have this strong eagerness looking for something external to create internal peacefulness or contentedness. It's got to find that inner contentedness on its own through training the mind to let go and no longer long for things and have this strong eagerness for things. That's a big part of this practice. Because when the mind's longing for something, if it gets what it wants, that happiness, excitement, and elation comes in. Everything's happy, excited, elated. But if it doesn't get what it wants, that's when the anger and hatred and ill will comes in, right? And now the mind wants to push things away, right? Because I didn't get what I want. I'm pushing this away. And all of this is coming from the mind's ignorance or unknowing of true reality. These are the three poisons, craving, anger, and ignorance. The mind's going to crave, 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 crave for those pleasant feelings. As long as it gets them, it's going to be happy, excited, elated. But when it doesn't get that because it can't get those things permanently because they're, it's based on some external condition, then it's going to move to painful feelings. And that's when the anger, frustration, irritation, and all that other stuff's going to come out. And the mind's going to want to push things away from it, push people away, push situations away. And all of this is transpiring because the mind is ignorant or delusional or unknowing of true reality. It doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. It doesn't understand that the mind is constantly searching 
for this external satisfaction through craving desire attachment. The mind doesn't understand that is pushing people away with this hatred, anger, and ill will. So it's this delusion, ignorance, or unknowing of true reality because the mind doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. It's being stuck and trapped in this unenlightened state. And as soon as you learn the Buddhist teachings and the more and more you practice them and you realize what's going on, you gain wisdom. That wisdom is what transforms this ignorance into being able to identify these other two poisons and then transform those. So you transform the craving, desire, attachment with generosity by being generous and giving, sharing, living open-handedly, right? And of course, you need to practice breathing mindfulness meditation in order to train the mind to let go. And then to transform that hatred, anger, ill will, you practice loving kindness meditation and practice loving kindness in your daily life. That's what transforms that hatred and anger into loving kindness. That's the opposite, the wholesome root. And then what transforms this delusion, ignorance, or unknowing of true reality, which is keeping the unenlightened mind trapped because it doesn't know what it doesn't know, it's learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha to gain that wisdom. And through you learning and then independently observing the truth for yourself, the mind gains this wisdom of understanding. And now it starts functioning in the world much differently. Essentially, what a Buddhist practitioner is doing is you're starting to become an expert on the mind and how the mind truly works. And the more you understand how the mind works and all these natural laws of existence around you, the more wise you become about those. Now you can start to take active steps, apply effort to transform this mind from the unenlightened mind to the enlightened mind where it no longer is attached to all these external conditions seeking satisfaction, but it's inwardly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. That's the goal that you're working towards. But it takes time. It's a very gradual process. And the more time you devote to learning and practicing the teachings, the more active and dedicated you are, the more you'll progress. But you even have to eliminate that craving, that mental longing and strong eagerness for enlightenment. You have to pursue it as a goal, an objective, and as interest. Just gradually, consistently, day by day, learn the teachings a little bit, practice those teachings, and see that they're truth. So then you can have wisdom. Learn a little bit more teachings, practice those, observe the truth so you gain wisdom. Learn a little bit more. Right, And this is why we have these classes. This is why I offer help in the Facebook group. This is why I offer personal guidance that you can schedule appointments with me like you've done. By doing it little by little, taking off a little bite and then making sure that you understand it through practice and observing the truth for yourself, now you've got wisdom. And you just do this incrementally, little by little, and you build this house in the mind that's nice and stable and now it's unshakable. The mind will never be shaken up once it becomes enlightened. There's nothing that will shake it up and ever experience discontentedness again. It will be permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Right? It's no longer 
shaken by any external things. And people that have been studying and learning for quite a while, I'm getting a lot of messages now almost daily from people, different things that are going on in their life. And they're observing how two months ago or six months ago or a year ago, their mind would have been so shaken up by that same exact thing. And now their mind wasn't shaken up in that situation. They've still got other things that they're working on, but they're noticing situation after situation. Wow, that would have shaken my mind up so much, you know, six months ago or two months ago. So you'll gradually notice the mind improving. But it takes time and you're just getting started with me. So it'll take a bit of time. But with your reading the book, the audio book, the videos, the podcast, take the quizzes, get personal guidance. You're starting to attend these classes regularly. Things will slowly get better and stay dedicated to your meditation practice. No matter how tired you are, you know, okay, if you put one session off here or there, it's okay. But, you know, just really stay consistent on it, you know. The people who attain enlightenment are not people who meditate for a month or two. It's not possible. You've got to look at this as a multiple year thing. It's kind of like that home improvement project that you're just constantly working on. You're just constantly working on it and always working to improve the mind. So people who meditate and have a propensity to meditate for years, you know, two, three, four years is what you're really looking at. And by that time, your practice is so well developed and you're getting more and more awake and more enlightened, you would never even think about stopping to meditate. It's just so much part of what you do and it's led to so much peacefulness in the mind, you wouldn't even think about stopping. So you'll just keep doing it more and more or you'll have your baseline practice, but you'll continue to do it you know, each day. So really build up your practice slowly, steady, and consistently. It's not this, you know, racehorses shooting out of the gate and see who can get around the track the fastest. It's, it's the tortoise. It's not the rabbit. It's the tortoise. Just slow and steady and consistent. So thank you guys for joining. Continue to meditate each day, doing breathing mindfulness meditation and or loving kindness meditation. And if you need any help at all, Feel free to private message, schedule an appointment, ask questions in the Facebook group, however you would like to get help, because that's a big part of this practice is making sure that you seek guidance with teachers. So have a really wonderful rest of your day. I'll see you either on the Saturday coming up where we're going to be studying the rest of this book, Dhamma Trails. We're going to be studying chapter 26 until the end of the book, which I think is chapter 51. And then we're going to be moving into the next book, which is Sotapanna. Sotapanna is essentially the first stage of enlightenment. So this book is all about the first stage of enlightenment. And it's probably the second thickest book, the second or third thickest book in the actual whole set that we study. So we're going to be doing that on this Saturday finishing up with Dhamma Trails, but then the next Saturday, moving into Sotapanna. On Sunday, we're going to be studying chapter 24 in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, which is misunderstandings of Gautama Buddha's teachings. It's really important to explore those. Now that we've been in this program for six months, you have learned the teachings of the Buddha, 
But now I'm going to share some things with you that you're going to see out in the world that people are doing that aren't the teachings of Gautama Buddha, even though they're doing them at a temple, even though they're monks that are practicing, ordained practitioners. There's people in the world that aren't practicing Gautama Buddha's teachings, even though they're calling it Buddhism. And we don't look down on those people. We don't disparage those people. We don't think negatively about those people. It's just that they haven't learned the true teachings. These teachings that you have access to through the Developing a Life Practice book and the Buddha Wajana books, this is very rare for people to have access to this level of depth and this quality of teachings to be able to truly understand what it is the Buddha taught and how to actually train and transform the mind. So you're going to see a lot of other people in the world that just haven't been able to gain access to these resources that you have found. So on Sunday, we're going to be exploring some of those things that you're going to be seeing in a lot of different places that aren't the Buddhist teachings. And then, of course, next Wednesday, we'll be doing our Buddhist chanting on Wednesday, which will probably precede that with some meditation now, is we're going to start doing meditation first and then actually teaching the chanting as well. And here pretty soon, in another few weeks, we're going to be restarting our group learning program. Now that we're pretty much at the end of this book, Developing a Life Practice, we're going to be restarting from the beginning of the book in a few weeks, from the beginning and work our way all the way back through. But we're going to insert some special classes in the middle between the time that we end this group learning program and the time that we start the new one. We're going to insert some specialized classes to really help draw out the teachings and ensure you guys deeply understand the Buddhist teachings very clearly. So once again, thank you very much for joining. Thank you for your dedication and your commitment to learning and practicing these teachings. Because when you do so, you're improving your life and you're improving the life of the people around you and you're improving the life of all of humanity. Oftentimes we get this wrong. We feel like we want to go out and change the world. But that change really starts with you. So congratulations to you for deciding to improve your own mind. Because by doing so, it's going to help you, those around you, and all of humanity. So until next time, have a wonderful day. Sawadikhap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.